Welcome to the Sports Town Podcast, or the STP Pod for short. No politics, no drama, and no argument. Just two guys talking sports. On today's rendition of the show, we'll talk about World Series Game 6, Week 7 NFL highlights, Habib subs Justin Gagey, OBJ done for the year, and much more. As on every episode, we have a poll question. You can vote on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And the question is, do you think Habib is the greatest pound-for-pound fighter of all time in the UFC? And right now, there is a slight lead for no at 53% to 47%. Speaking of Habib, uh, he won on Saturday by submission and then shockingly retired. Habib Nurmagomedov defeated Justin Gagey by submission in the second round on Saturday night to remain the champ for the lightweight division in the UFC. However, that wasn't the biggest news. The Eagle shockingly announced his retirement from MMA. The reason was because he could not fight anymore in large part due to his father passing away in July from COVID-19 complications. Nurmaga Madov's MMA record was a perfect 29-0. He defended his lightweight title twice. He also said after the fight that he promised his mother that he would be his last time fighting in the MMA. Many analysts that include ESPN's MMA insider Ariel Hawani said he was the greatest pound-for-pound fighter this sport has ever seen. Many celebrities on Twitter that included Conor McGregor, Habib's biggest rival, tweeted congrats on a great career and wished him best going forward. Uh, I'm glad for Nurmagomedov. Uh, He was one of the greatest fighters of all time, and it's great to see him win his last fight of his career. Even though not many casual sports fans knew about him, they all knew who Habib Nurmagomedov was after he knocked out McGregor in fall of 2018. Uh, but really what made Nurmagomedov special was he could do more than just wrestle. Uh, he is truly one of a kind. The sport will miss him dearly. Uh, who gets the vacated battle? Uh, who gets the vacated belt in the lightweight division? Uh, I think I think it's pretty obvious here. I think it's going to be Justin Gagey. Um, however, if Poirier versus McGregor end up happening in January, that could be for the belt. I could also see the belt for the lightweight division being vacant for a while until the UFC finds a good championship bout. But in my opinion, I believe it should go to Gagey or he should have a chance to fight for the lightweight belt. Gagey was the interim lightweight champion until he fought the Eagle. Uh, another fight for the belt could be maybe Tony Ferguson fights Justin Gagey again for a rematch. And, you know, just uh, Tony Ferguson never got to fight Habib Nurmagomedov. So maybe he fights Gagey one more time. Also, UFC just signed Michael Chandler to the lightweight division, and maybe he will give him a shot at the title, which I don't think he'd have. That seems very unlikely. However, um, you know, it could happen. It's 2020. Um, I'd love to see uh, Gagey versus McGregor for the lightweight belt championship. Uh, We will see what McGregor decides to go with in the coming months. Uh, Last question of the topic. Should McGregor versus Poirier be for the belt in the lightweight division? As I previously mentioned, I could see this happening, but it's not likely. Uh, the fight is still not even for sure. And plus, McGregor, not sure he's all in on UFC right now. He still wants to fight Floyd Mayweather again, even brought in Manny Pacquiao possibly as a consideration. Uh, the Irishman said he doesn't want to fight in January and said he won't fight if he has to wait until then. Now, we all know that he first wanted to do the exhibition with Poirier in Ireland, hosted by his own McGregor Sports Entertainment. So I think whoever wins that fight gets to take on Justin Gagey for the vacant lightweight belt even though it might be a while before someone takes possession of the coveted lightweight belt in the UFC. Uh, now we switch gears to the NFL. There's some big news. It's Cleveland Browns wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. is out for the remainder of the season, first reported by Josina Anderson. 
OBJ injured his ACL on Sunday versus the Bengals. This is Beckham's third injury in the last four years. Cleveland was able to escape Cincinnati thanks to a last-second touchdown from Baker Mayfield to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Beckham ACL will require surgery that could affect him going into next season. Back in week two, there were multiple reports that the Cleveland Browns could trade the former LSU star. But Beckham was able to turn the season around and help the Browns win five games during the strange 2020 NFL season. His former teammate at LSU, Jarvis Landry, will be the team's number one receiver going into week eight, and Rashard Higgins will likely be the number two. Cleveland plays Vegas this Sunday. Uh, my first reactions to it, it's obviously huge for OBJ and the Browns. Uh, Beckham Jr. has been one of the best receivers in the game since he entered into the league in 2014. Even though OBJ struggled when he first got to Cleveland, he seemed to be finding his groove this year. As I previously mentioned, the Browns were considering trading Odub in September. However, OBJ was playing well, and I do think the Browns will miss him a little bit. On the flip side, I do think Mayfield can grow as a better quarterback. Uh, Landry moves to the number one, and Rashard Higgins goes to number two. I do believe the 2017 Heisman winner in Baker Mayfield won't feel the need to force the ball downfield and will cause him to have less turnovers, which puts you in positions to win more football games. So maybe this is a blessing in disguise for Cleveland. Uh, does this affect the Browns? Uh, this might be a little bit shocking to hear, but I think the Browns will be better without the 2014 Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, if you really think about it, the Browns do not need Beckham when they traded from last year and a half, last year. Uh, Cleveland had such a good year in 2018 and looked like their future was bright, but ego got in the way when they traded for OBJ. Landry is a great number two and a good number one. And the Browns offense is predicated on the run. Uh, so OBJ with the Browns can continue running the offense the same way they have done all year and not be affected. Uh, even though Odell is a start and has all world talent, the Browns will be even better without Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, let's get right to the chase here. Uh, will Odell get traded? But, or Actually, sorry, I shouldn't say it. Uh, let me rephrase that. Um, do you think Odell will be traded next year? And do you think this was his last game played for the Browns? Uh, it could be. I'm very, actually very confident that it is. Uh, I'm not sure who they will trade him to, but I think the former Giant and Brown will be heavily pursued by their teams. There is a chance that Cleveland keeps Odell, but I'm very certain the Browns part ways with Beckham. You also have to remember that this is a different regime in Cleveland than it was last year when they traded for OBJ. Now, don't get me wrong. I know I'm saying a lot of... Uh, bad things about Odell Beckham, but I have nothing wrong with him. I think, again, he's one of the best receivers in the league, but I think I, I think he's going to get traded away in the 2020 offseason. Now, there's a chance that I could be completely wrong, like I usually am. Uh, the Browns could keep OJ, OBJ and be better next year. Now, if Cleveland makes the playoffs this season, OBJ could come back, uh, but I highly doubt that. So let's uh, also let's switch gears again and start with the 2020 Zozo Championship. Uh, Patrick Cantley wins the 2020 Zozo Championship. Cantley got his third win on the tour. The former number one amateur scored 23 under par for the tournament, edging out Justin Thomas and John Rahm by one stroke. Uh, Cantley was a massive underdog going into the tournament. However, Cantley was able to win and score seven under par on the final round in the 2020 Zozo Championship. Uh, the 20-year-old, 28-year-old, excuse me, shot the best on Sunday to capture his first Zozo Championship. With his performance... Cantley now has confidence in his game going to the Masters in just two weeks. Thoughts? Well, I clearly did not see this coming. Patrick Cantley was not my prediction to win the 2020 Zozo Championship. I didn't even think about him when I made my prediction. Uh, Cantley was absolutely on fire, and especially in the final round, shooting seven under par. Cantley has been searching for his first win in 2020. 
In fact, it's been over one year since he won his last tour victory, which was at the Memorial in June of 2019. Cantley is one of the or was one of the greatest amateur golfers in the world. He held that position for over 55 weeks before turning pro. The former Bruin is ranked ninth in the world and could possibly move up after the win at Sherwood in L.A., California. Cantley is a very underrated golfer. He always seems to be in contention. Last year, Patrick Cantley finished ninth at the Masters and finished third at the PGA Championship. Even though he finished 43rd at the PGA Championship in the U.S. Open this year, I definitely predict he will finish better than those places at the 2020 Masters. Now, again, he might be worse than 43rd place at Augusta National, but it seems like he will have the momentum to be in contention for this year's Masters. I have a bold prediction. He finishes in the top 10. I know it sounds crazy, but I have a lot of confidence in Patrick Cantley. What stood out to you at this year's championship? Well, the first thing I want to get is the most obvious, and it's not about Patrick Cantley. This is about the most polarizing golfer to ever play the game. Tiger Woods had one of his best tournaments since since the Masters of last year. He finished at one under par and shot a 71 for the whole tournament. Unfortunately, on Sunday, he shot a 73 to finish tied for 72nd place. Another interesting note was that he was paired up with Phil Mickelson for the tournament. Phil did not have a great championship as he finished at three over par and shot a 75 for the tournament. Mickelson finished 76th place at the Zozo Championship. Of course, the other note is that Patrick Cantley won the tournament for the first time in over a year. Cantley was great and finished at the Zozo Championship shooting a 65 on Sunday. Cantley is going to have a few more wins in the next year. The number two and number three ranked golfers in the world, Justin Thomas and John Rahm, played great and tied for second place, scoring 19 under par. JT and the Spaniard have been playing great despite the pandemic. And lastly, I have to point out that Tony Fino came back and finished the Zozo Championship tied for 11th place while shooting 17 under par. A few weeks ago, Fino had tested positive for COVID-19 and had to withdraw from both the Children's Shriners Open and the CJ Cup. So that's great news for golf fans, Tony, and the Fino family. Now let's get to week seven of the NFL highlights. Uh, Let's start with the Steelers versus Titans. The battle of the two undefeateds in the AFC played at Nissan Stadium on Sunday. The Tennessee Titans were 5-0 hosting the 5-0 Steelers. Pittsburgh jumped out to a 27-7 lead going into the third quarter. However, here comes Tennessee. The Titans forced three interceptions from Big Ben that trimmed the lead 27-24. Unfortunately for Titans fans, Steven Gronkowski would miss the game-tying field goal to give the Steelers the win. Roethlisberger would throw for 268 yards and two touchdown passes. He also threw three interceptions that led to Tennessee coming back and almost stealing the game. Connor would rush for 82 yards on 20 carries, and Smith-Schuster had nine receptions for 85 yards. Tannehill threw two touchdown passes on 18 of 30 for 220 yards. King Henry rushed for 75 yards, and A.J. Brown finished the game with 156 yard, 153 yards receiving and a touchdown. After Sunday, the Steelers are the only undefeated team in the National Football League. Saints versus Panthers. Drew Brees and the Saints hosting his former pupil and Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers. Also, don't forget Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator for Carolina, was in New Orleans just two years ago. New Orleans was 3-2 and and Carolina was 3-3. and The Saints and Panthers were trading away blows in the whole game. The Panthers led the Saints 17-14 with less than three minutes in the first half. But here comes the future Hall of Famer in Drew Brees. New Orleans was able to score with two seconds left to take the 21-17 lead going into halftime. The Panthers were able to score in the fourth quarter to make it a tie ball game. The Saints on the next drive would get a field goal to take the 27-24 lead. The Panthers 
were driving, but were forced to kick a very long 65-yard field goal from Joey Sly, but was just short and hit the crossbar. The Saints held on to beat the Panthers 27-24. Patriots and 49ers. Well, Patriots and 49ers, excuse me. Well, this is not what you typically see every day. The Patriots are 2-4 and four and are in trouble. Yes, I said this, this in a sentence. The New England Patriots are 2-4 and four and are in trouble. Just let that sink in for a little bit. New England was defeated by San Francisco 33-6. Cam Newton was benched in favor of Chariot Stidham, and could the Patriots be in danger of missing the playoffs? Jimmy G got his revenge on his former team and made New England regret trading him to San Fran. With the win, the 49ers are 4-3. and Garoppolo threw for 277 yards and had two touchdowns. Jeff Wilson, yes, most people have never really heard of this guy, but Jeff Wilson, 112 yards on 17 carries and finished the day with three touchdowns. Newton threw three interceptions and only had 98 yards passing. Harris for New England rushed for 58 yards. George Kittle also had 55 yards receiving. Final score, San Francisco 33, New England 6. The first snow game in the 2020 bizarre season. The Kansas City Chiefs traveled to the Rockies to take on the Denver Broncos. The game was close at first, but the Chiefs flexed their muscles and wiggled themselves past the deflated Broncos. Mahomes only had 200 yards passing, but the Chiefs' defense forced four turnovers. It was also the debut for former Steelers and Jets running back Le'Veon Bell. Bell had 39 yards on 16 carries. Drew Locke struggled and threw two interceptions as Denver fell to 2-4. and four. Lindsay had 79 yards on nine rushing attempts. The Chiefs are now 5-1 and one after Week 7. Final score? The Chiefs 43, the Broncos 16. Don't look now, but Tampa Bay is 5-2, their best start in a very long time. The Bucs trashed the Raiders 45-20. Brady had four touchdown passes on 369 yards. Scotty Miller finished the game with 109 yards and one touchdown, while Fournette for Tampa Bay rushed for 50 yards and led the way in rushing. Devin White are the Buccaneers. Devin White and the, the, for the Buccaneers had 11 tackles that included three sacks. Vegas had one turnover on Derek Carr's interception. Carr finished the day with 284 yards and two touchdown passes. Final score, the Buccaneers 45, the Raiders 20. Seahawks versus the Cardinals. The Battle of the Birds in the NFC West. It was a showdown all night as Kyler Murray and the up-and-coming Cardinals took on their division rival led by the MVP candidate Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks jumped out to an early 10-0 lead. Arizona quickly responded thanks to a pass from Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins. Seattle would lead 27-17 at the break. However, it would be the Cardinals that would have a huge second half. They would score 21 points in the second half that included overtime. Murray would throw for 360 yards and have three touchdowns. Wilson also threw for three touchdowns but had three costly interceptions. His last interception led to the game-winning field goal in overtime by Arizona. The Cards beat Seattle 37-34. The Cardinals are now 5-2, while the Seahawks suffered their first loss of the season and are sitting at 5-1. And, and last but not least, for Week 7, we start with where we end, not start, with the Bears and Rams on Monday Night Football. The Chicago Bears traveled to L.A. to take on the Rams in the beautiful $5 billion stadium at Inglewood, California, with no fans. The Bears are trying to get to 6-1 and keep up with the Packers in the tough NFC North. The Rams are trying to rebound from the tough loss to the 49ers on Sunday Night Football. L.A. jumped out to a 7-0 lead at the end of the first quarter thanks to a four-yard pass to Josh Reynolds from Jared Goff. Both teams would get exchange field goals to make it a 10-3 game at the end of the first half. 
After that, it was total domination for L.A. They would score 17 unanswered points, make it a 24-3 game in the early fourth quarter. The Bears would score, but it was on a defense thanks to a scoop and score by Eddie Jackson on an eight-yard run. It was a little too late for the Bears as they would turn the ball over the next possession. Goff would throw for 219 yards and two touchdowns. Daryl Henderson rushed for 64 yards on 15 carries. Allen Robinson had 70 yards receiving, and Nick Foles threw for 248 yards and two interceptions. Aaron Donald had a half sack, and Khalil Mack finished the game with a sack. Now let's get to the NBA is targeting a 72-game schedule that would likely start on Christmas and end on June. The NBA might have a date set for the upcoming season. The NBA is seriously considering starting on Christmas Day and having a 72-game schedule. The league will save an estimated $500 million if they start in December instead of late January. Adam Silver and the rest of the NBA is still entertaining the idea of starting the season a few days before Christmas, according to Sham Sharona of The Athletic and Stadium. The league originally wanted to start on December 1st, but that quickly fell through. Adam Silver and the league will still have to take the players' union about their plans, and the NBPA would like to say, would need to say yes to any proposed plan by the league. They would also likely get the season done next year before avoiding conflict with the Olympics this year. This would be the second straight year that the NBA would not play a typical 82-game schedule. It was reported that the NBA had lost $1.5 billion in revenue last year, mostly because of the virus, China controversy, and low TV ratings. The league also announced that they could hold up to 40% of players' salaries for the next season because of not having many fans in 2021. Also, the cap for this upcoming season will be very, very low. Uh, let's see. Next one. Um, this is my or my thoughts are this is breaking news to say the least. I'm on board with the league starting on Christmas or close to that date. I think the idea is better than late January start and start. And plus, the league saves all that money. However, the only downside with this plan would be, of course, no fans for at least the start of the season. The league already confirmed that they have started the season in December. There would be no fans. Uh, my first reaction to this, it's a breaking news to say the least. Uh, but I'm on board with the league starting on Christmas Day or close to that date. I think this is the idea is better than a late January start. And plus, the league saves all that money. However, the only downside with this plan would be, of course, no fans for at least the start of the season. The league already confirmed that if they do start the season in December, there will be no fans at the start, but at least we get some basketball. Now, again, I don't know how the NBPA and Michelle Roberts feels about the plan, but it seems the media and fans like the idea. As fans, we have to remember that players' unions, the players' union can veto the plan once it's figured out for a December start. So fans don't get too excited, but it is progress. Uh, my next question is, will there be fans anytime this season? Uh, it doesn't seem like it. If they're if they do have it, if they do have fans, there won't be much, just to say the least. Uh, the NBA can't do what NASCAR, the NFL, the MLB, college football did because of small arenas and being inside makes it almost impossible for fans to attend next season. You also have to take into account that two thirds of the league's cities can't have social gatherings with more than 500 people at a time, according to a report done by ESPN. So I'm going to predict that the league doesn't allow fans at this time. There is a chance that some teams could allow fans with cities that allow social gatherings, but it doesn't seem like the league would do that. Uh, how will this affect how will it affect this free agency uh, for this season? It's going to be huge for players that sign with other teams. Uh, they won't have much time to get some team chemistry and to get to know their teammates. 
Uh, to be honest, it probably is for the best that this year's free agency class kind of stinks. Besides, the cap will be very, very low. But if you look at the 2021 free agency class, this could be, this could be really good. It could be led by Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Paul George. So to sum it all up, it's not looking good for players wanting to switch teams and get paid a lot of money. Now, last but not least, the World Series Game 6. We're saving the best for the last. Game 6 of the World Series happened on Tuesday night. Here's all the action of the Fall Classic in 2020. Remember, all games are played at Global Life Park in Arlington, Texas, home of the Texas Rangers in the American League. The Dodgers were looking for their first, for their seventh and first World Series title since 1988. The Rays were trying to force a Game 7 and look to win their first Fall Classic in franchise history. Blake Snell would take the mound for Tampa, and Tony Gons, Gons, Gonslin would do the same for L.A. The pitchers, or excuse me, the Dodgers planned, the Dodgers planned before the game is that they would use their bullpen, and they, in fact, did just that. It started out with the solo shot by Randy Rosarena that put the Rays up 1-0. The 2018 AL Cy Young Award winner was able to strike out the side in the first inning. It would be a pitcher's duel until the sixth inning. Blake Snell versus the Dodgers bullpen. After Snell allowed a base hit from DH slash catcher Will Smith, Kevin Cash, the manager for Tampa, pulled him after he had nine strikeouts, no runs, and only had two hits. As expected, that would bite Tampa in the butt. The Rays would allow two more runs, and one of them was an error made by pitcher Nick Anderson. Austin Barnes and Mookie Betts would score to make it a 2-1 lead L.A. Betts would hit a solo shot for insurance in the eighth that would seal the deal. In the top of the ninth inning, Julio Urias would go 1-2-3 that would put the Dodgers or get the Dodgers their first title since 1988 and their seventh in franchise history. Uh, and then also shortstop Corey Seager was named the World Series MVP for 2020. And, you know, congratulations to the Dodgers. You know, all those Dodger fans, they had to wait so long. You know, of course, all those years that they just couldn't get it done. And finally, they're champs. So as and of course, if you're a fan of all the L.A. teams, uh, especially with the Dodgers and Lakers, you got to be excited. So congrats on the successful year, even though it's been kind of a rough year in all of us. Well, it's a wrap for this amazing episode. Uh, thanks for listening to the Sports Down podcast or the STP pod for short. We release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube and much more. Uh, don't forget to subscribe like, rate, and leave a comment.